Well, despite the gloomy global economic outlook, companies seem to be cash flush, continuing mega share buyback programs. And so far this year, corporate buybacks are on track for a stronger first quarter than a year ago. Joining me now as we discuss some of the buyback trends is investment specialist at Genera Capital and Professor at Gibbs, Adrian Savile. Thanks so much for your time, Adrian. I actually just want to start off with an overview of the uh, shareholder value unlock theme. When does it actually become imperative for a company to embark on a value unlocking path for shareholders? Well, you know, dividend buybacks is one way of uh, unlocking value or, or releasing cash from the business. Um, it's by no means uh, the most recognized way or the grandest way. In fact, it's very often regarded as an unpopular way uh, to return capital. So you know, rather the headline grabbers of uh, value unlock would be endeavors that include spinning off uh, underlying businesses um, as part of a restructure um, and you know that's uh, commonplace some of the uh, high profile spin-offs that we've seen in recent times include the likes of um, uh, IBM spinning off uh, one of its very capital intensive uh, underlying subsidiaries uh, and um, uh, the other is to uh, restructure the business by um, way of you know, retiring debt, uh, um, perhaps listing uh, parts of the business on different exchanges. So, you know, all of these are endeavors to achieve a more uh, effectively and efficiently used balance sheet. Share uh, buyback is you know, one of the additional ways uh, beyond the headline grab is the most obvious with the idea that um, somehow we can, if we use uh, examples, uh, one of the big uh, Anglo-American, you know, that was a value unlock. Yeah. And I don't think Anglo-American quite uh, appreciated at the time that the spin-off happened of how big the unlock was going to be because it was a coal business that they spun out um, yeah. uh, and that uh, through the course of 2022 benefited from extraordinary coal price appreciation. Yeah. Adrian, would you say then that um, this needs to be kind of a recurring factor that is embedded in the strategy instead of maybe companies going for this when they're only maybe cash flush after periods of being conservative? Uh, it is a, from an investment perspective, um, uh, share buybacks um, and cancellation of those share buybacks has over you know, a long time evidenced itself as one of the great, you know, a, a very powerful lever in improving returns on capital in the underlying businesses. So it's a good discipline. It, uh, it on balance, appears to be a good way of um, optimizing uh, capital utilization and portfolio efficiency. Um, and, uh, you know, with, with many strategies, what you want is um, a consistent messaging. You want, uh, you know, a clearer line of travel rather than you know, just random buybacks mm. or sporadic uh, buybacks. Uh, so, so that would be in an ideal world. The, the, the two big howevers are, you know, the first however is uh, it's a way of deploying capital, not 
the only way of deploying capital. So you're always competing uh, for the capital that the company has at its discretion. Yeah. The second is, uh, whilst it might be good for um, optimizing balance sheet performance, it's very often not popular from a market perception because the market perception tends to be, and I would mention that the market perception is wrong, but the market perception tends to be that businesses that buy back and cancel shares are businesses that have run out of ideas. So it's <laughs> often you know, regarded as an unpopular way of um, uh, allocating your capital. And perhaps the third, I, I said two however, is maybe the third however is there is a counter-cyclical indicator that more often than not, share buybacks happen at the top of share price cycles rather than the bottom, um, which uh, is uh, not the best way. So if applied shrewdly or astutely, I think that this could be even more powerful than the already fairly good evidence uh, suggests. Yeah. in terms of capital allocation. You were talking about uh, capital that a company has at its discretion. Is it prudent for a company to use debt uh, to embark on share buybacks? Uh, that would be a little bit like taking from the left pocket and putting into the right pocket. Mm -hmm. um, uh, share buybacks, I, I think the elegance of share buybacks is they can be um, applied without uh, you know, extensive fees. Uh, share buybacks can also be applied on a granular basis that you could do it you know, in modest amounts that you could buy back a fraction of a big debt issuance. So it allows you to be far more granular. And it also is not necessarily a permanent feature. You know, although we spoke just a moment ago about it ideally being you know, uh, co consistently communicated Mm -hmm. uh, you know, whereas debt is with you for the maturity of the debt uh, profile, the share buyback can be on an as and when basis. So there's far more optionality and modularity mm -hmm. um, in uh, in a share buyback than than debt. But using debt to buy back a share would essentially be saying, you know, I'm going to take cash on the balance sheet. Uh, I'm going to use that to buy shares, and the way that I get the cash on the balance sheet is by issuing debt. Yeah. Uh, so it would be you're essentially you know just rinsing the system. Yeah. So that wouldn't be uh, a sensible approach. The, okay. uh, the the way in which the cash comes about is through the operations, and the operations of the business are then used to uh, buy back the shares, as opposed to. Uh, paying dividends yeah. um, and in that way it can also be a far more tax efficient way for the investor um, of getting uh, cash from the firm into the shareholders hands yeah and just lastly Adrian just talking about applying good ideas in terms of unlocking this value for shareholders when you look at the company's structures has the theme then changed from uh, unlocking value through acquisition build-up to getting to structures that are leaner and, and simpler? Um, you know, as much as I was, you know, suggesting that there is this balance of evidence that talks in favor of share buybacks, there's a balance of evidence that talks against uh, M&A. Okay. That uh, a lot of M&A uh, destroys value. It makes for great headlines. A lot of... Um, uh, you know, euphoric energy around the announced acquisition or the merger, and then you know comes the experience of the the, the M and A, where all of the textbook things uh, do in a 
a, a, a quick about turn and walk from reality back into the textbook. Yeah. Um, so, you know, M&A hasn't showered itself in glory. That's not to say, you know, no, no firm should do M&A. Um, there are certainly, you know, examples of businesses that have been incredibly successful uh, in, uh, in M&A. Uh, Bidvest is a very good example of that in South Africa. Um, and uh, 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 in the same breath then, you know, we need to be quite careful about, you know, generalization, suggesting that an you know, M&A is not the way to go and that all you should be doing is buying back shares. If you've got the, uh, you know, the status, uh, if you have the, the resources, the means, the experience of being able to successfully um, uh, generate these types of transactions on a sustainable basis, uh, then this could be a sensible strategy, but you know it only becomes a strategy if it is sustainable. And unfortunately, you know where we do find examples of M and A that have been successful, they tend to be one-off rather than sequential. Mm. So we need to look even harder uh, for the sequential uh, acquirers. Yeah. Microsoft, on a global standard, has been relatively successful as an acquirer, and uh, uh, bizarrely, the long-forgotten search engine business Yahoo. Uh, was an incredibly successful uh, acquirer. Yeah. Um, Adrian, would you say that the macroeconomic conditions are conducive for value unlock as we've seen a lot of activity, uh, at least in the last year or two years or so in terms of share buybacks and also unbundlings and, and, and the, 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 the sale of non-core assets? Or does it maybe depend on what you're going for? Being able to uh, unlock value, uh, you know, putting that in inverted commas, is, is a function of a range of things. Yeah. The, the the context and the environment will be one of those circumstances. Um, uh, that is, uh, you know, just one of the considerations. Whether you've got um, inflation headwinds, growth tailwinds, uh, where you are in the interest rate cycle. All of those things will matter, you know, materially to your ability to to unlock uh, capital. Um, the second is the uh, industry-specific circumstances, uh, and that this is going to vary from industry to industry. But I would argue the third, and arguably the most important, is the skill set and the experience of the team, um, and that more than anything, we want to be looking at the capability, the experience, the track record of the executive team that's in charge of this inverted commas value unlock. Um, and that we've got confidence, comfort that it wasn't uh, one-off, that it has the, uh, that the team has the capacity, capability to repeat this and to be a sequential uh, or serial uh, value unlocker. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much for your time, Adrian. I really thought this would be a pertinent discussion to have, as you've seen uh, companies coming out with good results. But as soon as they announce that they've paused their share buyback programs, then investors get angry and you see a negative reaction on the share prices. Thank you very much for your time and for your insights on that. That was Investment Specialist at Genera Capital and Professor at Gibbs, Adrian Saville.